Under the radar means hearing about things you didn't know you needed to know until you hear them. It's a serious look. Hear about the issues that don't get the attention they deserve. Under the radar doesn't get caught up in the day-to-day. Surfacing issues that are not talked about in mainstream media. I think it's something that connects us to each other. Under the radar is all about discovery. I can be guaranteed voices I haven't heard before. But also the questions. Under the radar is one step ahead. I'm Callie Crossley. This week on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, anti-LGBTQ sentiment turned deadly recently as a California business owner was killed for displaying a pride flag. Plus, advocates for trans health care are pushing back against some of the more than 142 bills introduced across the U.S. this year, restricting gender-affirming health care. And an increasing number of gay and trans people are moving to Massachusetts, fleeing red states in the wake of anti-LGBTQ laws. That and more on our LGBTQ News Roundtable. Later in the show, no other country is as obsessed with ICE as we are. 51% of us even self-identified as ICE-obsessed in a recent survey. ICE is everywhere, and it doesn't seem to be the case uh, anywhere else in the world, just here in the United States. Author Amy Brady's story of our national journey to uber consumers of ice cream to ice hockey begins right here in the Bay State with ideas sparked by an enterprising 19th century Bostonian. But first, joining me in the studio, Jansen Wu, Executive Director of GLBTQ Legal Advocates and Defenders, or GLAD. Hi, Jansen. Hello, how are you? Grace Sterling Stowell, Executive Director of the Boston Alliance of Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender, Queer Youth, or Bagley. Thanks for joining us, Grace. Hi, Callie. I'm glad to be here. And E.J. Graff, journalist, author, and managing editor of Good Authority, an independent blog publishing insights from political science. Welcome back, E.J. Hey, Callie. Great to be here. Well, I'm going to start with uh, grim news. I think um, that if we're all informed uh, and keep up with what's going on in the news, we've heard about the threats to LGBTQ folks. We've heard about some violence. But I'm not certain that um, many of us understand how it has ratcheted up uh, to deadly, um, certainly in the last uh, several months, in the last year, if we think about it. So I want to talk about the story of the California businesswoman, Laurie Ann Carlton, who was fatally shot outside of Mag PI. That's the clothing and home decor shop she owned in Cedar Glen, a mountain community east of Los Angeles. And she was shot by a guy who was very upset that she continued to display the pride flag in her store. This is Anderson Cooper of CNN asking Ari Carlton, the daughter of the woman killed, if her mother was ever afraid because pride flags have been torn down from her store in the past. No, she was she was fearless and she was confident um, and she wasn't afraid to stand up to anybody. I, I read that your mom had actually ordered a new pride flag because the old one was fading. Yeah, um, when we arrived home on Friday night after the incident occurred, there was a package on the doorstep um, and it was a new flag. And she had told my dad that she had ordered it because the one that had been hanging had naturally faded from the sun. EJ, I'll start with you. 
it's shocking and it's not shocking. Uh, I don't know if it was clear from that clip, but she was an ally. She did not identify herself as LGBTQ, but she felt it was urgent to stand up for us just by showing the flag. And all the rhetoric across the country about how we are quote unquote groomers and dangers to children, all things that are very familiar for, to some of us from not that long ago, maybe 30 years ago, are all that reached that boiling point in someone and he took it out on her uh, treating Oh, let's just be clear. We're talking about a piece of cloth that has rainbow colors on it. It does not say, come here and do dirty deeds. Because of that, she was killed. That's how vitriolic the anti-LGBT language, I want to say sideshow, but it's not a sideshow. The attacks, the wave of backlash, that's how that's how dangerous it is. And there are that it's that those threats, she was getting threats for months. She it kept getting torn down and she kept putting it back up again. Those threats are coming in to many, many people across the country. And we all know it's it's dangerous to stand up just to say it's okay to be me hmm. or it's okay to be you. Grace. Yes, we know in in uh, all movements for social justice, uh, race, gender, economic justice uh, that have uh, formed around support for uh, communities that are being targeted, that we've we've always had allies who have been willing to step up, not because they are members of the community or share those identities, but because it's the right thing to do. And uh, and unfortunately, when when people stand up for us, they often then get the brunt of what uh, the the folks who are more directly impacted experience. And so this is a tragic example of that, where uh, someone was trying to be supportive and send a me message of love and um, and safety, and and then became targeted by the very hate that is used against so many. And so uh, you know, I think it's a reminder of how how dangerous the situation has become. Uh, with the increased rhetoric, as EJ was saying, uh, and it's it's emboldening people, and and all of us all of us are being threatened uh, in different ways. And so, um, you know, for me, it means we we all need to stand together and and challenge this. But it also means that we're in very challenging times. Two things, Jansen, before you respond, um, the shooter Travis Iki. Gucci, I believe that's how it's pronounced, was killed by the deputies after he fled the scene. So he shot her. Then um, the deputies were looking for him. These are San Bernardino uh, deputies, deputies under uh, County Sheriff uh, Shannon Dicas, who confirmed that Ikaguchi often posted anti-LGBTQ content on social media. So uh, I wanted to make it clear that this was not an assumption that he had hatred. Also, before he shot her, he uh, spewed some slurs at her and spewed slurs about the flag itself. So now you can respond. Yeah, I mean, this is so sad and it's only one you know, example of the increasing violence against LGBTQ people and their allies. Um, just this year, there was also a conviction against a man in Oregon who had 
um, attempted to burn down a church that was open and affirming um, for that reason, um, open and affirming of LGBTQ people. Um, and, you know, I say this because it's it's not, we know it's not isolated, but we also need to recognize it's coordinated. Um, you know, after January 6th insurrections, many of the extremist groups that were behind the insurrection, including the Proud Boys, turn next to LGBTQ issues as their target. And that's what we're seeing right now. So continuing along the violence and threat uh, that are happening uh, directed toward LGBTQ folks, and a, a prominent and award-winning Boston-based transgender activist and lawyer um, has been copied constantly on uh, a on emails that are threatening other people around the country. In other words, it, she, it has not come to her directly except for the emails in which said persons outline, you know, all of their hate about other places and, uh, you know, and, and uh, have inspired bomb threats. So she, as uh, the Peace and the Advocate says, she's like a, a front row witness to this. It's a, it's a hoax because she hasn't been, there's been no bomb threats, um, you know, realized for her, but yet she's copied on the emails that have been threatened, uh, where places have been threatened with bomb threats because, again, um, she's LGBTQ and it, she is known as an activist. Now, she has notified the FBI of the emails and says no action has been taken. I don't know, Jansen, is this in some gray area where, you know, if somebody goes missing, for example, it's not quite the same thing. You know, they won't respond until it's been a certain number of hours or days and there's certain other uh, details. Does this fall in that category or because this seems like a pretty real threat to me? It is, and you know, I can't speak to the FBI's practices with regards to investigations, but what I can speak to is that, again, this experience is not isolated. Um, you know, advocates, um, our own staff at GLAD and other LGBTQ organizations have been targeted both online and, in, in, and harassed in person. Um, every single executive director of an LGBTQ organization I know in this country has had to revisit their security policies in order to keep their staff and volunteers safe. Hmm. Grace, absolutely. We've 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 been reviewing all of our policies for our community center and and all the the executive directors of LGBT organizations. We've been we've been having those conversations. We we um what what used to be considered a a isolated incident by perhaps an unbalanced person with the with the climate that we're in and the level of um uh targeting in a sophisticated and coordinated way led by one of our two major political parties uh it has really changed uh it has changed how we respond or how we should even be thinking about this that it's no longer something that might happen uh, uh, by from from one or two people, it, it the the uh, uh, this is an effort. This is what terror for me. I think this is what terrorism is. This is this is a designed to frighten and and uh, an entire community. So that even if something directly doesn't happen to an individual or an organization, it happens to people like us. And and the fear it, it stokes fear that it could happen to us. And that and that's one of the very definitions of terrorism. The Boston-based transgender activist is Harvard educator Alejandro 
Caraballo, um, EJ. And I'm saying that because, you know, you need to, you know, say people's names when you're talking about this in case someone's listening and says, you know, who said that? And that's not real. So I want to, you know, put that forward that, yes, it's real. Yes, there's been some communication with the FBI. And yes, uh, these email implied threats keep coming to her. So now you can respond. If I recall correctly, she's um, tracking she's tracking hate online. Um, and so someone has decided, well, if you're going to track it, we're going to make you a target. Uh, because of course she's an implicit target and saying the name Callie draws attention to the fact that um, she is Latina I believe and that anyone at the intersection of more than one stigmatized or uh, minoritized uh, identity is more is in more danger Mm. or likely to be targeted If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. And here with me are Jansen Wu, Executive Director of GLAAD, Grace Sterling Stowell, Executive Director of Bagley, and E.J. Graff, Managing Editor of Good Authority. We're discussing the latest LGBTQ stories you should know. Let me turn to Florida and still in the context of these threats and violence, a couple things are happening um, you know, Florida is pretty volatile right now when it comes to LGBTQ issues. So um, a city council there had already approved a safe place initiative, which meant this is a small, the, the city is uh, Mount Dora, small city of 17,000. And they wanted to do that so they can put decals, again, these rainbow decals in various places to say these are safe places um, for LGBTQ folks who may feel under threat or may have be under threat at any given point. So that's it. They were voluntarily, it's not a requirement, but it's a voluntary display of rainbow decals in their windows. Now, four Republican lawmakers are writing saying, if this goes through, I mean, it did go through, but if we don't reverse this, we're in danger of potentially detrimental and absolutely unnecessary economic harm. That's a quote. Uh, because they're citing the boycotts of Bud Light and Target, which happened, uh, as people may know, after both of those brands were overtly uh, supportive of uh, Pride Month, particularly in LGBTQ concerns. So that's one thing that's happening. The other thing that happened is there's another small town in Florida that has declared itself the first um, to be, it's Lake Worth Beach, Florida, a sanctuary for LGBTQ plus and intersex people. This is a first for the state. Um, And they just decided they wanted to go further than the safe space decals and just say, um, with so many LGBTQ plus people and allies fleeing Florida for less hostile states, we are thrilled that uh, Lake Worth Beach Mayor and the city commissioners continue to ensure the health and safety and well-being of LGBTQ people and our families. This is from the founder and president of the Human Rights Council. So those are two interesting competing forces, which it, I think mirror the competing forces going on across the country. I thought maybe you all may have a brief comment about each of those. I'll start with you, Jansen. Uh, thank you, Kelly, so much for always bringing these examples of hope, which are so important to remember. Um, and, you know, these are two towns, but they actually reflect the majority of Americans who care about fairness, 
care about compassion, um, and support LGBTQ inclusion in public life. Um, it's only because, you know, uh, extreme conservative right has, uh, you know, grabbed uh, political power through gerrymandering and voter suppression that we are seeing these laws in all of these states where the majority electorate don't support them. Um, and, you know, the last point I would just make is that, you know, this illustrates how local politics and activism is so important. When I spoke, speak to people, they often feel, you know, disempowered to do anything because what can I do, you know, to change, you know, my governor's mind or my senator's mind. Um, but I always say, go to your, you know, your, uh, your school board uh, meetings, go to your town council meetings, go support your public library, because that is where the conservative right is. Um, advocating, and we are right now entirely absent from that sphere, important sphere of public life. Um, EJ. When I first heard about this, I thought these were um, towns deep in, you know, Miami Beach and other places known for um, LGBTQ gathering, but central, one of these is in central Florida. These are not the hubs of queer party town. These, this is brave what they're doing. And I know that there has been a lot of discussion among activists in Florida and outside of Florida about how do you push back against DeSantis? And I, I have to agree with- The governor, just for people who don't know. Yeah, I have, I have to agree with Jansen. It's awesome when you do things locally and just say that guy does not speak for me. We love you guys. You belong here. That's- it's the only way to push back. Grace. You know, it's so heartening when, you know, thank you. I think that the EJ and Jansen have both mentioned this is that uh, when allies are stepping up and that, and that is what's different, you know, we, we, the, the decades of activism uh, have not only benefited LGBTQ folks, but, but also uh, have created and so developed and nurtured uh, um, so many allies, because it's true, the, the majority of people in this country do not support uh, this level of hate. And, um, uh, and so uh, it, it's, it's, um, it's heartening when people step up and, uh, and, and make it clear where they stand, knowing that it's, it's risky to do so, as we were saying earlier. And, um, uh, and it is interesting, a, a party that focuses so much on individual rights and, uh, and city rights and, and jurisdictional and state rights and so forth, uh, you know, when they're trying to do these kind of legislating from, from the top there, individuals are going to push back and say no. So I, I'm, I'm heartened by this. Hmm. Well, let me move on to uh, the slate of anti-trans bills, really. I'm, I'm doing a generalization there, but that's pretty much what it comes down to. These are challenges to, uh, uh, these are rather um, laws that want to ban transgender health care or gender-affirming health care. You might have heard that expression that you know, offers a wide variety of services uh, for the wide spectrum of people um, on um, along gender lines. In any case, what's we now know there are many, many, many of them. So 142 at last count, probably going to be some more. But I think what's interesting in the news here is that there are now more voices. Jansen, I'm going to go back to you on this, stepping up to say, please stop. 
please look at this. And I'm looking at this case in Alabama where the, the parents are asking the um, 11th Circuit to review their decision to ban um, health care uh, for trans kids, that gender-affirming health care. So talk about really, um, this is the context of not just parents, but other groups saying, you know, we, we have to challenge this. This just cannot be allowed to just continue to go without those of us who are impacted having some say in it. I'm glad that you mentioned the Alabama case because that's actually one of GLAD's cases where we're representing parents, um, families, and medical providers who are afraid of literally being thrown in jail for providing the medically necessary care that transgender youth need. I believe it's a felony um, with up to 10 years of prison um, if you uh, support or cause a transgender child to receive medical care. Um, and, you know, the we won at the district court level um, and were able to put the law on hold. And that was in front of a conservative Trump appointed judge. Um, then that decision was overturned by a panel of three judges on the 11th Circuit. And now we're asking the entire 11th Circuit to review that decision. And we are hopeful that they will defer to the findings of the trial court judge, which is that this is established medical care that is necessary for transgender youth and that the only reason to ban it and criminalize it is, you know, animosity for a small vulnerable group of people. But as you mentioned, Callie, it's so much more than just the law. It's about people's lives. Um, it's about families who now have to consider whether or not they have to uproot their lives um, and move to another state to provide their child with the health care that they need. Um, and it's about medical providers who are facing the loss of their licenses um, and, you know, criminal penalties uh, for doing, you know, their 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 oath, which is to, um, you know, provide and care for their patients. Um, so these are the real people who are in really, really tough situations right now. And, you know, we are hopeful, um, but it also will require a lot more resources for us to ensure that. I mean, Alabama is just one state, but there's 22 states with laws banning medical bans. And I believe only nine of those states have active litigation. So we need a lot more resources to push back against these laws. Um, Grace, are you seeing other efforts like these parents um, stepping forward and other groups stepping forward to push back against what is kind of a legislative trend at this point, for lack of a better expression? Absolutely. I, I mean, uh, uh, we've what what we're also seeing is an an unprecedented level of support from parents, families, and allies uh, who are very clearly seeing that this is wrong, seeing the implications of what this means across many communities and intersecting identities. And so I'm heartened by that. Um, you know, it's it's always a balance because uh, you know the the impact of all of this is, destabilizing what you know activists have fought for years to we 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 wanted to around gender affirming care and legal protections for trans people and and their families and and all of these attacks even when they fail even if something is held to be illegal or struck down it the, the fact that the attempts are being made 
uh, are sending a message to um, communities and their families and their allies uh, that that we don't matter. And so the impact is there. But I'm also heartened to know that people are fighting back, and 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 hopefully, hopefully, there there will have some some good news or continued good news uh, um, in face of the steady stream of bad news that we've been having. What would you add, EJ? The transgender column of the rainbow is certainly the most vulnerable of our, of the groups gathered under the banner. They're less widespread, they're less well-known. And so that is where uh, the anti-LGBTQ activists turned when they lost the marriage fight. We're talking about a very, very tiny proportion of the population. I'm sure um, Grace and Jansen will know that figure. So it's very easy to make that um, the wedge to go after, to go after the entire rainbow. And I just want to point out that this is happening in the same states that want to restrict reproductive health care. Not for so, not for gay and lesbian people, but for, but for, for anyone for, with reproductive yeah. organs yes yes um mm -hmm. for for anyone with reproductive organs they they want to they want to restrict any option to terminate a pregnancy it's the same states and it's the same ideology of there is a way you are supposed to behave if you are born in a certain um body and you do not get to have control over what happens to your body, we will tell you how you are supposed to behave. It's, a, it's theocratic. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. And here with me are Jansen Wu, Executive Director of GLAAD, Grace Sterling Stowell, Executive Director of Bagley, and E.J. Graff, Managing Editor of Good Authority. It's our LGBTQ News Roundtable. Well, you've all mentioned in passing as we've been discussing these threats and now um, the uh, anti-trans uh, health care laws, the, the ones that are targeted in that way, about people leaving um, or moving where they currently live, often in red states where these laws are on the books already or being discussed, um, to other states. And one of the states they're moving to is Massachusetts because they feel safe here. Uh, before you all respond, this is Eric Schmar, who told Boston 25 News that he considered moving from Texas to Boston because of Massachusetts legal protections for LGBTQ people. I'm tired of the mental exhaustion that like my battery just feels drained existing in this state. All of those things started making me feel like I don't know if I can live here safely, knowing that, hey, you're safe here, even if those larger you know, decisions get rolled back, you still have you know, rights as a human that are equal to everybody else. So Massachusetts has a, uh, a campaign that says Massachusetts for us all. Um, there's a picture of people uh, celebrating Pride Month on it. And of course, the, probably the biggest selling point from Massachusetts is Governor Maura Healey, who is the first um, lesbian to be in office as governor. And she's been actively pitching the state's legal protections for LGBTQ people and advertising in Texas, where Eric Schmar is coming from, and in Florida with the slogan I just mentioned. So, EJ, good thing? 
I came here in, uh, as I said before, prehistoric times. I've, I fled Ohio for the same reason. It just was not comfortable being queer in Ohio, anywhere in Ohio. I'm, and Massachusetts is awesome. It has always been a, pardon the word, but it has always been a beacon. And having Maura Healy there as our governor is certainly fabulous. And I love that she is advertising it that way because they should all come here. This is where all of us belong. On the, the downside, of course, is that then there's nobody left to fight the local fights that Jansen was talking about being so important that not nobody, but so many of us who leave do leave our friends and fellow travelers behind. Um, but especially those families that have trans kids, I don't see how they can stay where they are with their children always under threat. Um, Jansen, the Human Rights Council declared, uh, really, the, the state of the country, a state of emergency for LGBTQ people. So it would sort of make sense that some people are looking around to say, are there places I can move to that are safer in Massachusetts might be one. I mean, I just had a phone call with a doctor in Georgia who had a transgender child and he was trying to figure out which states where he had job opportunities were the best ones for his child. And I was trying to give him the best advice I could while also saying that he should come to Massachusetts. Um, but, you know, I also just kind of want to bring, you know, remind folks that there's a lot of folks who can't afford to move. Um, and, you know, I would say the vast majority of LGBTQ folks can't afford to move. And so that, you know, underlines the importance of also ensuring that they're getting the support they need, um, you know, through mutual aid, um, through, you know, services from, you know, organizations like GLAD and others. Um, and then also, and, you know, I know this is getting a little bit in the weed, but the ability to do telehealth is so important, particularly for the transgender community. And we are seeing attacks on access to healthcare um, you know, through um, telehealth um, for lots of reasons, but including for this one. Grace. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to echo what Jansen said. My, my thought is, of course, that so many young people and their families uh, can't afford to move, uh, you know, shouldn't have to move, don't want to move, can't afford to move. Uh, and and also young people who don't have supportive parents. So the parents uh, may, be, may be actually supporting the things that are harming their children. And so uh, we, we, we need to fight this on multiple fronts around one, yes, Massachusetts, we're fortunate uh, to have uh, openly LGBTQ leadership, including the governor and others and 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 decades of activism that have that have built that support at the same time there are folks living all over the the country and in many states that don't have that and what what are the ways that creatively we can support um uh young people and their families where, wherever they're living when because the, the, it's not always a choice so i'm going to switch total tone and stories because um, it's nice to have something nice to talk about. So um, Robin Roberts and Amber Lane got married, which might not seem like a big deal. Um, Robin Roberts is the host of Good Morning America. It's a very high-profile job. Before that, she was well-known athlete and well-known as a commentator for sports. And um, she had kept her 
relationship a secret. In fact, she'd kept her whole being as a gay person a secret for many, 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 many years. In fact, she came out in 2013, eight years after this couple started dating. Here's her quote. I could not have imagined as a young girl growing up in Mississippi that I'd be sitting here with you in New York City with my fiancé, who is a woman, and freely, openly, and passionately talking about it. They did get married in September 8th at a very, according to all, joyous ceremony. Um, It's symbolic, of course, but it has meaning, Grace, right? Absolutely. I've always loved Robin Roberts since he co-hosted with with um, Diane Sawyer and, and then became the host. And, uh, um, you know, it, it's 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 a wonderful thing that that in the middle of so many challenging stories and events that, I, that we're hearing about and talking about uh, that two people who love each other can get married and celebrate who they are and be affirmed in their identity. So so I, I, I saw that and, and I was I was very excited. <laughs> I will note, um, EJ, that her brother walked her down the aisle and her home pastor, this would be home pastor from Mississippi, did officiate at the ceremony. That's kind of mind-blowing. It's so awesome. It's so beautiful. <laughs> I love that. I love that whole story. And it's it shows us how far we have indeed come. There's The kids today might be might be more under attack than the ones 10 or 15 or years ago, but they can still look up to these models and say, you know, somewhere, someday, sometime, there's gonna be a place for me. And Jansen. Well, I mean, first of all, the photos look beautiful. So I wish I were there. Um, and, you know, it really shows the power that marriage equality has brought to changing hearts and minds and it's important to remember that this is the 20th anniversary of the Goodrich decision which brought made Massachusetts the first state in the country to allow same-sex couples to marry um and in those last 20 years what we've seen is you know uh people's families communities hometowns coming together for you know an institution that has been shared for you know generations and generations um and that's what really makes progress is those types of connections those celebrations that joy that's a great place to end and i thank you all for joining me thank you so much callie thank you thank you Jansen Wu is the executive director of GLBTQ Legal Advocates and Defenders or GLAD Grace Sterling Stowell is the executive director of the Boston Alliance of Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender, Queer Youth, or Bagley. And E.J. Graff, journalist, author, and managing editor of Good Authority, an independent blog publishing insights from political science. Coming up, forget about baseball and apple pie. Ice is the real cultural symbol of America, from fancy ice cubes to high-tech refrigerators and coolers, and an ongoing love affair with the Zamboni, ice is literally and figuratively carved into every aspect of American lifestyles and traditions. How did it happen? Author Amy Brady traces the history in her new book, Ice, From Mixed Drinks to Skating Rinks, A Cool History of a Hot Commodity. It's our September selection for Bookmarked, the Under the Radar Book Club. That's next. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley.